This is the Portside Pod, the official podcast of the Stockton Ports. I'm the voice of the Ports, Alex Jensen, and on today's episode, former Port and current A's area scout Anthony Aliotti stops by to discuss evaluating players during a pandemic and share some memories from his playing days in the Cal League and around the A's system. And don't miss another Ports Thirsty Thursday Happy Hour coming up on Thursday, May 14th at 4 p.m. on Facebook Live. During these trying times, Chase Chevrolet is still open and here to serve you. With their Easy Pass service, you can shop online and have your new pre-owned vehicle delivered right to your door. Learn more at chasechevrolet.com slash easypass. Anthony Aliotti is a former Stockton Port. He is a current area scout for the Oakland A's, a 15th round pick of the A's in 2009. He joins us for this episode of the Portside Pod. Anthony, thanks for taking the time. I'll call you Ant for, uh, for our purposes today, but uh, I appreciate you taking the time. I know we all have plenty of time on our hands, but it's good to pick your brain for a little bit. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Alex. What, what's, uh, what's life been like during the pandemic? Just like outside of work, outside of baseball, what's, uh, what's, uh, what's life been, been like? It's been me and my two-year-old daughter uh, running around uh, trying to keep her busy, um, and that's, that's about it. I mean, a little bit of work here and there and chasing the two-year-old around. Golf courses just opened back up too. Yeah, that's uh, it's, it's been nice. I've been able to sneak out there once or twice, um, but I mean, they're still on lockdown out here in Orange County a little bit. Right. Uh, but every once in a while, I'll be able to sneak out there. So now I mentioned you're an area scout now, and and just for clarification, your your area is Southern Orange County to the basically the Mexican border, right? Yeah, I go um, Long Beach down into Palm Springs, and then kind of just ride the coast out to. Mm-hmm. San Diego. Uh, so I have a, have a pretty good area to, to go cover as far as the drive goes. Yeah, I was talking to Rick Magnante on our last episode about that. And he was telling me about, you know, some guys in the Midwest, for example, that are home like 80 days a year. Yeah. Um, there's, there's some spots, Scotty, that uh, the guys are, are grinding multiple states and, you know, having to find uh, some players in some little pockets and uh, fortunate enough down in Southern California, they play a lot. Uh, the amateur guys do, and you're able to, to get good looks at a, a lot of players because of the weather and, and uh, the talent that's over here. How has, uh, how has this changed, you know, the, the whole COVID-19 effect? How has it changed your uh, kind of daily work routine? Obviously there's no games to go see. Yeah. So how are you able to evaluate players? Yeah, we, um, we have some video online it's a little different it makes it a little harder um but uh you're doing a little bit more video scouting uh seeing you know on the bright side you get to see a ton more at bats and a ton more pitches thrown uh, by watching video than you would at you know a game maybe um you get to see three at bats from a, a prospect a game or they intentionally walk them a couple of times so maybe you only get one um and that's a whole day uh here you're able to watch i mean unlimited amount of the bats break them down uh, so that part's good. And then on the pitching side, um, it is obviously it's it's a lot nicer to see the guy in person, but um, you could evaluate pitches and mechanics and a lot, you know, you could slow it down and, and get things a lot more in depth uh, by looking at the video, uh, which has helped. Uh, so, you know, doing the best we can, uh, but we do get a lot of reps in just watching the video, uh, which has been nice. Is there a possibility that maybe this changes certain things you do as a scout going forward? Um, you know, we've had a good, we've had a pretty good combo. Uh, I know talking to some of our scouts of, 
going to see players live and then, you know, double checking with the video. There's always going to be video up. So, um, and you're also gathering your own video. Um, so I don't know how much it'll, it'll change. Uh, you can't beat going to the park, um, getting there early, watching everybody and evaluating that way. Um, but it, it also is a, another little help to, to break down some film um, and do it that way as well, just in case you, you can't catch it live or, you know, you see certain things slow down. Uh, one of the, one of the, I think it was your first sign, right? Chase Calabuig has, yeah. uh, has made his way through the through the A system all the way up to double A. I think he's, he's, he's had a handful of bats in triple A. He's performed really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, for you as a young scout, how gratifying is it to see a guy that, uh, the first guy that you signed have that type of success? Yeah. You know, Chase, Chase is, um, obviously came out as a senior, um, so he wasn't, you know, a, a top prospect coming out, um, but he always, he always played hard uh, and he always had the ability to hit. Um, and, you know, those two things can carry you, can carry you a long way, especially if you start developing some other tools and just get a feel for the, the speed of the game at the next level. Uh, and also, you know, he's had some chances. He, he was uh, fortunate enough to get a shot. Uh, I think it was in Stockton his first year um due to some injuries or just some some good luck and on his side some bad luck on someone else's um part but and he performed at that at those levels so um even being a youngster uh getting chances at the the higher levels I know he's in double a the last couple years and you know some injuries that helped helped him along the way there uh, at least just getting a shot but he's taken advantage uh, of every opportunity he's had uh, and shown that he can compete at uh any level they want to throw him at so uh, it's kudos to, to Chase for being ready um, when his opportunity uh, presented itself. So that that sounds a little bit like the conversation I had with with Rick last week about makeup uh, yeah. and how important that is in a prospect. And it sounds like Chase Calabuig, you know, when 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 his number was called, he he was ready to go. Like his mind is nowhere but in the present. I mean, how how it, and that just goes like in in the player evaluation world. In your mm-hmm. own words, how important is makeup in a certain kid? Uh, in terms of grinding their way through the system? Uh, it, it's huge. You know, it's, you get to know the kid. I mean, you get to know the kids pretty well um, uh, for the most part. Um, but the makeup part is to some, to a little bit, it's, it's um, almost, that's not a guess, but um, you get just, you get a good feel for a kid is how I'll put it. Um, and you know his work ethic and his kind of mental makeup as far as, um, if he gets some bad news, if he's got to, you know, he doesn't skip a level or he's got to come back down a level, how is he going to handle that kind of, um, that kind of news? And that's a lot of the, the minor league grind is, um, handling back to backs and, uh, handling new, you know, certain situations that are out of your control. You know, maybe a prospect comes up and takes your spot for no apparent reason, but you have to deal with it and move on. So, and being ready for, your opportunity is a part of a part of that grind. So um, again, kudos to Chase uh, so far for every opportunity he's got. He's taking advantage of and uh, keep grinding, and and hopefully he'll get there. That's got to be kind of tough, though, right? To to uh, really, you know, um, evaluate an intangible like that because you, I mean, you don't know how a kid's going to react. In you know, you can do all the home visits you want until that kid is put in that position. You really yeah. don't know how he's going to react. No, it, it is. It's a, it's a tough one. It's probably the toughest, toughest tool we have to try to, to get out of a kid. Uh, all the other ones you could see on the field, 
Um, but you know, the, the tough kids, it, you could also, you can see it on the field as well. Sometimes, um, the way they handle, you know, an 0 for 3 or an air or a teammate doing, you know, making an air, just how, how they rally, how they pick up their teammates, how they, you know, even the simplest little jog on and off the field. If they're still in it, locked in and saying, all right, let's get the next one. You know, that, that helps your decision as far as, okay, this kid's got a little toughness to him. He's not going to let those little things bother him. I mean, you're never, you're never ready for, you know, your, your manager to tell you, hey, you got to, <laughs> you're going from Midland back down to Stockton. You just, you just have to roll with that when it comes. But uh, being ready for the, you know, your manager to say, hey, you're going from Stockton to Midland is another, another thing you have to be ready for. So it works both ways. And uh, as far as scouting it, you know, it's, you get a feel for a kid and then you just start looking for it. And the more he does for you, the, the more you like him. It becomes a little easier when you're evaluating like tools on the field, right? Because yes. I mean, the game of baseball kind of has one language, if you will, as opposed to, you know, an intangible like a makeup. So what we were talking about before uh, I hit record here in, and what we've talked about on this podcast with Melissa Locker, with Bobby Crosby, with Rick Magnante is, is the, you know, the influx of athleticism into the A's system. Mm-hmm. And what seems, at least from the outsider's perspective, like uh, a renewed, um, focus on a kid being an athlete as opposed to possessing maybe an elite tool like a power yeah. tool without having the ability to move around the diamond. Uh, and I know the A's kind of, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but it seems to me like the A's kind of value defense in a different way than a lot of other clubs do. But when you look at athleticism, and I mean, has, has the entire baseball community, do they value athleticism differently than they did 10 years ago when you were coming out of college? Um, I, yeah, I'd say they are just because of the way the kind of the game is, is moving. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's a new tool as far as, um, how many positions can a player play? You know, the kind Call of the Ben Zobris tool, the position or the positionless players, you know, right. uh, when, and I know I wasn't out of college that long ago, but, uh, our shortstop was our shortstop. And our second baseman was our second baseman and so on and so forth for the rest of the positions. And then kind of in the pro ball game, it got to, Hey, this kid's a pretty good athlete. I think he could step in the outfield. Let's, you know, you bring him out there and the guy's a gold glove outfielder just because of pure athleticism, how he moves, how, how clean his movements are. Um, it just helps your chances. You know, you may have, you may be lacking in power, but you can play six positions. Uh, you may be lacking in speed, but you could play, you know, you could bail out, give a guy a day at third, give a guy a day at second, um, hop over to left field. Uh, it's just, you know, it helps helps the team out and, it, you know, it gives yourself more chances to succeed in the game. So in that, that's why we're seeing like, you know, like you said, every, every prospect has to have a, like, it's not like college football recruiting, right? Where you're, you just have an athlete position, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. When, when players are drafted, the draft's coming up next month, uh, when players are drafted, there's always a, a position associated with a player. But it sounds like that is why you see so many shortstops uh, drafted. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of the times, you know, teams yeah. will put their best athlete up the middle, at least. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's the same way going back to, like, Little League. Your best athletes are pitching at shortstop uh, and then in center field, usually. Um, now the pitching one goes away a little bit, the higher level you go. As far as that place. <laughs> hey, watch it, man. All right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, give, again, give me an athlete and we'll find a spot. If he can play, um, he's got glove work, he's got footwork, 
um, give me the athlete and we'll, we'll, we'll try to make it work that way. Uh, another thing that we've talked about on this podcast is, is the loyalty in the A's system. You know, Bobby Crosby brought it up first, how loyal these guys are. I mean, he started a hitting academy. He calls Billy Bean and, you know, two years later, he, he's managing in Stockton. Now they're not loyal to a fault. Obviously they, mm-hmm. they see the work that guys put in the effect they have on players. You yourself. So I guess we'll start here. You yourself, you're a former A's farmhand. How, how, how is it that you got into scouting? Um, first of all, A's, very loyal. One of the many reasons I enjoy working for them and uh, playing for them um, for the, the years that I did. But um, as far as getting into scouting, uh, I was kind of right place at the right time. Uh, I went down to uh, one of our biggest showcases called the Area Codes, um, and I was going down there to see a former coach of mine uh, who works in the Cubs organizations now. And, uh, Gabe Zappin. Gabe Zappin. Yeah. <laughs> and while I was down there uh, – I saw the Oakland guys, um, obviously knew them from playing my playing days with Oakland. Uh, I just went down there to say hello. Um, they asked if I was, you know, interested in, in uh, hopping on, on board on, in, you know, on the scouting side of things. Um, I hadn't really thought about it too much, but uh, it did interest me. And uh, the more we talked about it, you know, I, I was in just, you know, and a lot of that was due to uh, the family-like atmosphere I know Oakland, Oakland has. Um, been around people like that my whole life and uh you know that's the kind of environment I enjoy it's incredible like I never I never knew that until I started this job even though I was working for the A's for the last couple of years like that's something I I just learned that um you know that there's so many former players even the ones you don't hear about you know so many guys who are familiar with the Oakland system either came up through the Oakland system or have been there for uh 25 years or so Mm-hmm. Do you think that cultivates, uh, you know, a, a, an atmosphere for young players in which they can be most successful? I, you know, I, I think it, I think it does. Um, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, I mean, when I played, I like to be relaxed, have fun and relax. And in our organization, if you can't be loose and enjoy yourself and just go out there and, and, and do your thing, uh, then I don't know where else you, you can be um, because we, as far as, you know, the open, open way um, is very family oriented. Everybody's pulling for each other. Um, everybody has your back um, and they give you the freedom to go um, ball out the way, the way you know how um, not with too much micromanaging or anything like that. And if, you know, it's just that kind of freedom uh, and that kind of trust, uh, you know, it goes a long way with me, and I know it does with a lot of the other players, ex-players as well. Yeah, Bobby was telling was was talking a couple of weeks about, you know, the the environment in the clubhouse when he was coming up, and how when he got to Midland last year, it was the exact same way. Is that a, like I mean, just kind of a loose like, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, every it seems like everyone's pretty tight. It does. I, I and maybe I'm wrong here, Ant, but it doesn't seem like that type of environment is, uh, you know, all throughout the minor leagues, especially. Was no. that your Was that your experience? Yeah, uh, talking talking to other players, you know, when I was still going, um, it definitely felt like we had more of a special bond uh, in our locker rooms, and that went for every level. I had a certain group of guys with me uh, that that played with me throughout my time, and there was no difference in in levels. There's a difference in you know maybe the the caliber of player you're with, but everybody had that that goal, um, and you know. It was, it was, honestly, it was the family type 
atmosphere in the locker room. Um, and I think just being around the Oakland guys, the, the head guys, you kind of learn that way. Um, whether you're coming from high school or, or college, uh, that this is how it's going to be. And uh, you get ready to play. You know, there's, there's enough pressure just yeah. playing the game, just playing the game in itself and knowing that it's your career. Um, having, adding a tough locker room on top of that or, um, you know, a manager or coaching staff that is putting more pressure on your things like that, you know, that, that, that may crack up players. You know, I don't know, but um, it's certainly not the open way. And, uh, the freedom they give you to go be your own player, but still be part of the team and have that goal uh, is, is unmatched from what I've seen. It's the perfect time to purchase a new car today at Chase Chevrolet. Take advantage now of model year-end inventory reduction prices and supplier pricing on select 2019 vehicles. You can always count on Chase Chevrolet for the best prices, best service, and easiest car buying experience. And now, back to our episode. All right, so let, let's talk about your career now, Anthony. Uh, okay. Drafted in 2009, of course, by the A's in the 15th round. You reported directly to short season Vancouver in the Northwest League. And, uh, I mean, you put up some pretty good numbers throughout your career. Uh, you know, but all, all career lows in, in Vancouver, 239, no home runs. Yeah. Uh, what was, was, was the baptism to the pro game a little bit of a, a shock to you? Like, what, what, was the, what were the hardest parts about adjusting the professional level of baseball? Um, you know what? Actually, my, my first year when I went to Vancouver um, – Rick Magnante was your manager, Rick, right? Rick was my manager. Rick was my yeah. first manager. He's a great dude. Uh, love Rick. And, uh, you know, I came out of the gates pretty good. I was hitting – I was playing very well, uh, adapted to the guys, the locker room, you know, having those international players in there as well. It takes a little bit of adjusting. Um, come to find out those are my, my favorite teammates of all time. Um, but uh, it took a little adjusting. And then and – then, um, you know, you just want to try different things. Maybe um, certain coaches want you to look for more power. I was just trying to work on things to better better my game. I was trying to look for more power as an undersized first baseman. I knew I was going to need it. Uh, and maybe just pressed a little bit, you know. I remember going into a uh, 9 for 63 uh, slump. Um, and uh, that wasn't fun. Um, but uh, we got out of it. And it was just it was just due to trying some different things and Oakland giving me the freedom to, yeah. to work on things to try to better my game to you know seeing that this the lowest level wasn't where I wanted to be so I needed to work to get to get to the top level and and uh, that was kind of the start of the of the minor league grind. What, what's it like digging in when you know and I don't even know if like I'm not even I don't know if you were a guy that looked at your stats every day but what's it like digging into the box knowing that you're you know seven for your last forty or whatever the case may be. Yeah, uh, I wasn't a, a huge, you know, digging the stats guy, but I think any player is lying if they say, I don't, I don't look at my numbers because yeah. everybody does. Um, but whether you look at your numbers or not, you know when you're struggling and you know when you're playing well, when you step in that box. Um, and it's, it's just not comfortable. It's, it's like, you know, if, when it gets real bad, it's like stepping on a tee box and you feel like you've never swung a, a driver before. And you I know no what that's like. Ball. You have no idea where the ball is going, but – um, you figure it out. I mean, you've been playing the game a long time and you grind through it. Everybody has a struggle here and there and you just get by it. You get past it. How, how can you tell you're starting to, to come out of it, even if things may not be going your way? Um, taking good pitches, honestly enough. For me, it was, it was 
before I went to fix a mechanical issue, it was am I swinging at strikes? Um, and come to find out a lot of times I just wasn't swinging at strikes. So, you know, that's a big problem when you're trying to produce for your team and you're not you know, giving yourself a, the best chance possible. So uh, when, when I started to get locked back in, I was having just better at bats and that meant swinging at better pitches uh, and having a plan and sticking to it. So uh, that's when it was okay. We're on the come up. It's so interesting how it always comes back to the mental side of baseball. Like, I mean, when I mean, I can imagine, like, if you're, if you're, you know, if you know you're in a slump, maybe you start pressing and trying to do a little too much and, mm-hmm. and getting out of your plan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, when you're in those slumps, you're going through, you're, th- you're constantly thinking, you're going through every little, little tweak you could uh, think up. Uh, any drill someone brings up, you're like, oh, yeah, that'll, that'll do the trick. Uh, and usually uh, it's just going back to the basics and, let's make sure I'm swinging at strikes and let's get the pitch that I want to and go from there. So that's what worked for me. <laughs> going, going into the off season uh, from year to year, like how, how did you diagnose what you needed to work on? I mean, certainly I'm sure, you know, the organization uh, told you, Hey, we want you to get better here, but you know, going into an off season, how, how did Anthony Aliotti say, this is where I want to be uh, going to spring training next season? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that was diagnosed just through the season. You, you can feel how teams pitch you. Um, uh, they all have scouting reports, and you, you know, you know what, what they're going after, and you know where your weakness is. If you're being honest with yourself, you know where your weakness is. Um, and so you took that to the offseason. Um, hey, I need to work on, you know, fastballs in. I can't get to that. I can't get the – I can't get to that pitch, or I need – uh, to work on my balance or whatever it is. Uh, for me, it was always a power issue. Um, I was undersized first baseman that was just going to put the ball in play and hit for average. Um, and so I, you know, I worked at it to, to get as much power in my game as I could. Um, and, you know, that's, that was the offseason. It was, these are where I'm making mistakes. Uh, these are what they're trying to exploit. I know next year coming in, I'm going to face these same pitchers and uh, I need to show them that I've, worked on these issues um, and I'm ready to go uh, and then they can find another hole after they try to, to get back in here. So uh, it, it worked like that for me. I know it did for a few of the guys that I worked out with um, that it was, Hey, they're pitching me here. I know I struggle here. Let's, let's improve in these areas. How do you, how do you acquire more power? Like, I mean, obviously you can get stronger, right? But we know it's not all about strength. Are there mechanical adjustments that you can make? Did you change your swings at times? I mean, I'm sure at times, you know, maybe to a certain extent, you just said, Hey, listen, I'm an on base guy. Like you had a 452 on base and in, in 2013, I think it was in the Texas league before you got called up to AAA. I mean, were there times where you just said, Hey, maybe this is the type of guy I am. And I guess, you know, like I said, the other part of that question would be like, how do you go about, you know, doing something like acquiring more power besides just getting stronger? Yeah. Um, you talked about that 2013 year. I think that was my best power number year too. So I was getting on 12, base. 12 home I, runs and 91 games in Midland. Yeah. And also I was getting on base and I was also run producing, which was, which was nice. So that, that was kind of went hand in hand. Um, you also hit 350. That helps. Yeah. I also had some seasons where I was flirting around that 400 on base, but not having the power. Um, and you know, in my head, that's not what was going to get me um, to the big leagues. That's the position that I was playing. Um, so it was a bit of a swing adjustment, uh, trying to get more leverage um, and getting stronger. 
Um, was never the strongest player, uh, but the more I saw, you know, I worked at it and uh, the, the numbers showed that the more work I put in. So um, yeah, it was a little bit of a tweak with the swing and then just getting in the weight room and, and get my body physically ready. I can imagine like it, it, if you're going through a swing adjustment, uh, there's a period of uncomfortability there. Yeah. Right. H how do you keep grinding through that? Just get in there and see more pitches. That's what spring training's for. Uh, you try to get some in the off season, you know, going to your old, your old schools and, and trying to face some live pitching. Um, but there's no simulating, um, you know, seeing those minor league arms. Uh, and big league arms when you know you went to camp early or something like that and you got to just to see pitches and um, stick to what you worked on and just go from there so more reps the better it got level level what in your opinion what was the toughest jump man for me it was it was double a to triple a um, it wasn't um, you know double a double a had more velocity Double A, they they were there's some there's some big time prospects there, um, and Triple A was just more savviness. Triple for talking pitching wise, um, hitters were obviously better in Triple A, uh, but the pitchers were a little more savvy, um, and they developed this pitch called a cutter that gave me fits. Uh, Everyone throws a cutter now throughout my career. You know, they're older older guys that that just they knew how to pitch. Um, and uh, they didn't give in. So um, I, that was probably my toughest, toughest jump. It may not be numbers-wise, but mentally and just knowing that I had to prepare every night for something different. And uh, that, was, that was probably the biggest jump for me. I mean, was there a point in your career where you noticed that, like, because it seems like in pitching, uh, you know, every five, ten years, there's a revolution with a new pitch where all of a sudden everyone throws a cutter or everyone throws a splitter or, you know, whatever, right? I mean, we've gone from sliders now to power curveballs, it seems mm -hmm. like, at the big league level anyway. I mean, doesn't it seem like – how tough was that adjustment when you realize, like, everyone now is throwing a cutter to either side of the plate? I think that was my, that was my AAA adjustment. Yeah. Uh, AA was power. Here it comes. Um, very, it's going to be straight. Very rarely right. were they trying to manipulate the ball into a cut or a sink or something like that. Um, at AAA, yeah, they – if someone has a good split finger, it's game over for me. <laughs> pitch is unhittable. Uh, and then the cutter that just moves, you know, five inches, four inches, just enough to, to get out, get you off the barrel. Um, guys with good cutters were, were tough for me as well. And that seemed to be – I know it's been, the cutter's been around forever, but that seemed to be the, the hot pitch at the time when I was there was the, the cutter-splitter combo. Describe how you diagnose a splitter because, you know, the cutter kind of – but a splitter almost kind of knuckles a little bit, right? It looks straight. It comes out like a fastball, and it – I swear, it's on you, and then you're walking back to the dugout. And yeah. it, just, it just drops. A good one. A bad one just floats there, and, and you can hammer it. But um, a, uh, a, a good one is, is very, very difficult to, to diagnose and then try to do something with. Is that the one where it just kind of like starts belt high or lower and just disappears? The belt high one and then drops is tough, but the one that gets, gets you frozen is the shoulder length, the shoulder high, chest high one. That's a ball. And then it drops from the top of the zone. Yeah. And you're like, well, I, you're not swinging at that. You just can't. 
and you just go back and you're like, he could throw that nine more times and I will not, I will not hit that. <laughs> All <laughs> right. So you spent 2011 in Stockton. Uh, yes. You guys made the championship series, actually. I don't know if you know this, Anthony, but uh, with the elimination of the Bakersfield Blaze and the High Desert Mavericks, the Stockton Ports, who last won in 2008, by the way, are now, now have the longest title drought in the Cal League. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. pretty was, insane, right? I didn't know that until I did we were in there? 2011, you guys made the Cal League championship. You were 75 and 65 yourself. You had 276, 11 home runs, 66 RBIs. You had a lot of future big leaguers on this team, though. Max Stassi, Michael Choice, A.J. Griffin, Dan Straley, who are watching on ESPN now in the KBO. Yeah. Uh, what do you remember about that club and playing in the Cal League? Uh, I love – first of all, I love playing in Stockton. That stadium, um, you got the water in the background. You got the building down on the left. Um, it was just – it was – that was, like, the first taste of, like – This feels like a big league This type. is, like – yeah, this is, like, professional – yeah, um, I know we had we had some really good clubs before then, but just kind of the talent we had on that team, um, and you kind of see the work at work ethic start to change a little bit with some of these players, where it's like, you know, oh, I need to step my game up because I see where this kid's going, type of type of stuff. Um, but uh, we just had a good team. We were very well rounded. We could pitch. You know, we were going to score. Um, we had a great manager, and I believe it was uh, Webster Garrison Webby. Uh, hope Webby's doing all right. Yeah. Um, We've heard some good news, by the way, on Webby. We know he's off a ventilator. That's yeah. the last I heard, but that that's some good news. That we yeah. Heard. So prayers to Webby. Um, we had a, we had an excellent hitting guy in uh, Brian McCarn, um, and we just we just had a good combo. Team meshed, and you could kind of feel when you have you know that kind of squad is is rolling uh, that we were gonna we thought we were gonna to win it, but I believe we actually got swept in the finals by. Um, Lake E? Was it Lake, Lake Elsinore? Yeah, three Lake to one, e. actually. You guys got one game. You did, okay. Uh, yeah, they were better than us. But uh, <laughs> we <laughs> thought. Who did they have? Who's on that Lake Elsinore? Uh, they had remember? first baseman Nate Fryman, uh, who actually came to Oakland and played yeah. with us. Um, Austin Hedges might have been the catcher. Okay. Former big-time prospect. Yeah. Um, but that was, that was San Diego, right? That was the was San Diego, yeah. I can't remember much – can't remember many of the other players, but they had a very good squad. Very, very good squad. Uh, okay, so at, later on in your career, when we talked about kind of the Oakland system and, and the loyalty and, and the, the, the atmosphere in the clubhouse, you go down from AAA to, to AA, your, your final year before you mm -hmm. retire, uh, and you get to play with guys like Matt Olson and Chad Pinder. Yeah. And, I mean, you and Matt Olson played the same careers. It's been – or play the same position, obviously. And I know mm -hmm. uh, you guys still talk every now and then. Um, mm -hmm. Has it been fun to watch the trajectory of his career, watch him win a couple gold gloves and doing what he's been able to do at the big league level? Yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. Him, uh, Chad Pinder is one of my favorites. Um, we had uh, Chapman was there and uh, Ryan Healy was also there. Mm -hmm. uh, so they had a, a very good group of, of, some promising talent that's that's starting to pan out. Renato uh, Nunez was another one that was on that. Nunez team. was there as well. I think he's with the, uh, Baltimore now. Yeah. Um, so it's a you. Can, I mean, you could see the talent. You can see what these kids can do. And when I came down there, it was more of a mentor role, um, and just you know doing what I can to help these guys. Just you know they're going through the minor league grind, wondering what their future is going to be. And you know, I felt I'm not sure it wasn't, but I felt my job was just to um, help them along the way. 
whether I did or not, I have no idea. But uh, <laughs> you know, I was there. Uh, you know, during their when they had their struggles and there for a high five when you know they were they were starting to climb out of it. So um, I wish the best for those guys. Uh, they're starting to take off. Um, looking forward to Ryan Healy getting back and healthy and yeah, only Brewers I think right now. Right, think Healy. so. Yeah, yeah. Only in Pinder uh, to do the thing. So I'm hoping Pinder is a breakout season here pretty soon. I love Chad Pinder. Uh, I, I, first of all, I would say if, if, if you're still talking to Matt Olson, you know, if Matt Olson is still texting you, I'd say you probably had an impact on him a little bit. When, and I, I'll, I'll say that. I won't let, you know, you don't have to say that at all. Uh, <laughs> but, but I'll say it. Uh, people have talked a lot about, you know, A's, this, this current A's core, like coming up through the minor leagues and winning together. You think that has an impact on what they're doing right now? Uh, I think so, yeah. Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have a feel for their locker room. Um, obviously, uh, they have some guys with some experience there, and they also have uh, a good young mix. So, um, but I got, I have no doubt that that those guys are are leaders in that clubhouse, even at a, at a young age. Um, as far I'm talking, as far as the mm-hmm. Pinder and Olsen, um, Pinder Pinder has this certain way about him that you just kind of want to be around him and and follow what he's doing, uh, whether he's on the field or not. Um, and uh, Olsen does too. So I'm sure you know those guys are are leading by example, and then um the older guys on you know they're taking care as business as they should and uh showing some of the other young guys you know how it's supposed to work and how they do things here at Oakland all right I got some rapid fire for you as we wrap things up you ready yeah all right give me the most talented team you played on your pro career uh Sacramento 2015 14 who's on that team uh Tyler Ladendorf Shane Peterson Nick Buss uh Jamal Weeks, Michael Choice, uh Michael Taylor, uh and Dan Otero, just a bunch of pitching and, and hitters. Okay, favorite visiting ballpark. Any level? Um visiting ballpark, Boise. Boise? Mm-hmm. Why? Uh a city uh, I was uh, first of all I was born there, but uh I hadn't gone back there in a long time and just a sneaky fun city to go visit. It is a good city. Boise yeah. is a fun city. Yeah. Okay. How about in the Cal League? Favorite visiting ballpark? Cal so League visiting ballpark was probably Lake Elsinore or Rancho. I'll go Lakey. Lake a, Elsinore? Yeah, Lakey. They had some That's, fun stuff around like, the, where we stayed. Okay. There's, I, I see where you're going now. We're going <laughs> cities. We're not necessarily going ballparks. All right. That's oh, fine. Well, yeah. Lakey, Lakey's got a, a – yeah, we'll go Lakey for ballpark. Okay. And the surrounding area. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, it's a life on the road, man. You're not just playing your baseball is your day job. Like, I mean, that's, yeah. you know, I mean, that's just like, you know, blowing off some steam at a restaurant or something yeah. like but that. Elsinore does have a good stadium. Okay. There you go. Okay. How about, okay. Here's what I want. Toughest AB. Any guy that gave you problems, whether it be in the Oakland organization at spring training or, in, um, but just anybody I'll, that stands out. I'll give you spring training. I had to face Madison Bumgarner. Uh, as a lefty lefty matchup, and that wasn't fun. Um, uh, he actually hit me. Uh, <laughs> well, that didn't help, right? No. Well, then he struck me out the next time I faced him. But okay. that, that wasn't because, fun. So is that one not fun because it's basically coming out from behind you? It's behind. It's way, yeah. it's way behind you. Yeah. Um, so that wasn't fun. Um, and then in season, uh, we'll probably ooh, maybe. Um, Maybe a Joe Kelly, just because his ball's moving all over the place and 
I was never sure he knew where it was going. I'm not sure he knows where it's good. Have you seen the, I think it was Joe Kelly, right? The video of him throwing it through his, uh, through his window when he was working on a changeup. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, that, it was not the most uncomfortable. It was probably the more uncomfortable at bats from a righty. Okay. How about uh, the big leaguer or the guy that eventually pitched the big leagues that you had the most success against or you felt the most comfortable against? Oh, man. Um, shoot, that one's a little more specific. That one, uh, maybe Andres from Tampa Bay. Okay. Still pitching in the big leagues, I think. Yeah, he's really good. Um, you just, but I mean, like there are certain guys. I remember he's each other enough throughout the years yeah. that he just got comfortable with them. Yeah, but that, like, and and feeling comfortable and having success against the guy could be two completely different things, right? Oh yeah, without a doubt, you could square up a ton of balls if they're right at somebody. I would still say that I got the better of a pitcher if I hit a line drive that got caught. Right. Uh, have you been watching the KBO at all? Uh, or you got enough baseball I, stuff going on? I've been trying to catch Straley's outings. Okay. Um, but that's as much as I've, I've got to so far. It's tough with a, you know, a toddler and, be, you know, when, yeah. the, when the games are being played right now, it's tough. Yeah, I'm she sure. doesn't care. She doesn't care that Dan Straley's pitching. Well, Ann, this has been fun, man. Um, thanks so much for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck with the draft. Best of luck with, uh, with everything going on right now. Uh, stay safe. And I know I'll see you soon. We got, a, we got a golf trip coming up in Monterey pretty soon. We do. We do. I'll see you there. Thanks for having me on, Al. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Portside Pod. If there are topics or interview subjects you'd like to hear on future episodes, tweet at me at ajensen86. The Portside Pod is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms, as well as at our home anchor.fm slash Stockton ports. You can also visit the ports website at stocktonports.com and follow the ports on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Alex Jensen. Please stay safe, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Portside Pod.